What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm a... basketball? I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball? Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Hello, and welcome back to the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. My name is Tom Z, joined as always by my man Tim, a.k.a. Cranjus McBasketball. Tim, how are we doing this morning? Thank you for flying solo on Monday. Had a little bit of a case of an eight-something that didn't agree with me, but uh, it was good to check out what you were thinking and finish up those questions from uh, Discord and Reddit and all those places. Yeah, man, not a problem. Uh, always good to get through everything. Want to make sure everybody's questions were answered. Uh, I've been spending the past couple days, you know, really intensely analyzing 30 second video clips. The Lakers have been tweeting out just to try to see who's practicing, who's healthy, what might the plays look like? What might the roster look like? Just way too much. Uh, and I'm just excited for real basketball to be back. So we have had not much of a layover, but, uh, on Friday we will be seeing game one of the preseason and then Preseason only actually really goes like a week. It's like from Friday to mm-hmm. Friday, and then we're getting right back into it. Yeah, it's actually very surreal for me to actually even consider seeing any Lakers basketball on the court on Friday. And now Vogel's come out and said that he probably doesn't expect LeBron or AD to play, which, you know, you can't worry too much. I wonder how long those guys have uh, have been in the building and with all the COVID quarantine, uh, protocols, so on and so forth. We'll, we'll see when we finally get those guys, but it could be maybe just one or two games toward the end of preseason. But today we're going to get into, yeah, some of the expectations for what we'd like to see, what we can glean from preseason, and then also some of our bigger concerns as far as what could go wrong. Um, where do the Lakers maybe have some area to focus on and, um, could be vulnerable in the future. So I guess, Tim, let's start as far as it goes in preseason with I'm not sure the Lakers are going to be changing too much despite their overturned roster. Some of the quotes from Vogel coming out of training camp make me feel like they're still going to put their defensive identity at the forefront of the team and kind of, you know, work through the bumps with some of their new personnel. Is that kind of what you're expecting from this preseason run? Yeah, I listened to his media availability and it was a lot of we're going to get our system in or we're going to get our coverages in or get the new guys up to speed with our coverages. And I take that to mean and and just knowing Vogel in general, he's a defensive coach and a lot of the defense will be about the same this year. I think what we're going to see is much more of that build the identity basketball, get the new guys integrated with that, that identity. We're going to see far less defensive schemes and coverages like we did in the playoffs specific to an opponent opponent I'm sorry it's going to be more 
your base coverage AD is going to be drop coverage. Or Montrez Harrell, we'll have to see what they do with him, but what is his base coverage going to be? And what are specific lineups doing? Is this group switchy? Is that group not switchy? Just trying to get some of that fundamental stuff down and just, I don't know, build from the ground up, even though this team was playing not too long ago. Uh, certainly missing those couple key guys isn't, isn't the most helpful. Um, but it, again, it's just getting some reps, getting people up to speed. I know that the teams have had a bit less staff at practices able to help. It's kind of like when I was working in college, when we go travel to a tournament and you didn't have all of those like managers around to rebound and keep track of the, the little game clock on the side or have uh, clipboards and hands tracking different stats. It'll be much more like the coaches having to do everything, um, contesting shots at the rim, playing defense, all of that. Uh, so that I think makes the ascension towards your midseason form a little bit slower, but everybody's dealing with that. So I don't have high hopes. I think it'll be sloppy. Uh, but from a focus standpoint, I think we're going to see the team do what they can to build the offensive system each day. I know that we shouldn't overanalyze things, and I know I probably will in terms of what we see schematically, <laughs> you, and I've done no, it before. No, yeah. I don't so, believe you. I don't want to overanalyze. I am not <laughs> expecting a lot from a set play standpoint. We're not going to see the Lakers run 20 plays in the first game, but if they run five plays... I'm going to take a look at them and see if they make sense or not. If they're, I want to see how they're using players because Casey, we may run plays for Wes Matthews or KCP or LeBron. They'll be different a month or two from now than they are this week. But I think how the team thinks those guys fit together or how they want to try to get LeBron the ball or get, uh, Wes Matthews the ball or how they want to start using Marcus Hall's playmaking. We can pick up on some of the intent and evaluate that and try to project forward in terms of what that might look like moving forward. It's just such a truncated timetable. You know, you think it to a normal schedule and somewhere mid late July, you kind of have your team, right? And then people usually take August off and, and go on vacation and then come back at some point in September. And then you have a couple weeks to ramp up before a preseason game and you try a different guys out. You know, you probably sit your stars a little, but you play them a little too, just to see what kind of pieces you like, you know, what kind of weird stuff you might throw out there and see if you can find something unique. And the Lakers are just going to have less of an opportunity to do that. So, you know, maintaining that defensive scheme, which I presume is going to be more or less the same principle wise, as far as aggressive ball, uh, point of attack defense, um, allowing AD to kind of be that free safety and roam around on the back end, cause chaos at the rim and, and save you some buckets that way. I can absolutely see that still being their, their mindset, but you know, integrating guys like Harrell and Schroeder and Matthews and Gasol for maybe Matthews and Gasol, it won't be uh, too bad for the most part. Maybe there's some coverages you have to get burned by or, you know, you just got to get on the same page to build that chemistry. So it, that's that's important. That starts in the preseason, too. And um, I just wonder if if I think Schroeder and Harrell are what concern me more because it's it's the defense to me. I guess preseason wise, Tim, how do you watch with a grain of salt and what are you looking for if you're not looking for perfection, I guess? I'm looking for more just how the pieces fit together or how the, the team wants those pieces to fit together. It'll be just little things. You want to see what the chemistry looks like between a really good 
po- high post passer and Gasol and some of those cutters are guys cutting more often because they have a guy that'll get them the ball or what do the ball screen combinations look like? Or if we have AD and Montrez Harrell in a lineup together, which of them's the anchor big, which one of them is going to be that off ball kind of free safety. Like you talked about is that perimeter big, who's going to tag guys weak side or go clean up the boards or go run in a block a shot as a help from more of a help position. Just some of the things like that, just between these two guys, who does which job or like what kinds of lineups does the team run out there? And again, keep, take everything with a grain of salt. The minutes may be funky. We're going to see guys like THT probably play more. We're going to see guys like, uh, maybe Atentacumpo or Kaycock or, uh, I don't know, McKinney probably play more than they will in the regular season. But it's just seeing the little snippets here and there and saying, Ooh, they did that well. I'd love to see them do that in a real game. Okay. Fair enough. And, uh, THT, is there something in particular, some way you'd like them to be using him? Maybe get the ball in his hands a little more or, or maybe play him off ball to get him used to playing around LeBron. Is there something with him that you might want to, to focus on? Yeah, I think it depends on who's playing. If the Lakers are playing their full rotation of guys and THT is getting time and like LeBron's out there, I think THT will be more an off ball, either a stationary shooter or a guy who's doing a lot of cutting. Uh, if LeBron's sitting for a game and suddenly we need more ball handling, THT, who's done that in the G League, may get put into that type of position. And we might see him creating a little bit more, trying to create for others. And the, the interesting question with him is long term, maybe he's able to do that at an NBA level. Short term, this team don't, doesn't really need him to do that if everybody's playing. But we may see a situation this season where guys are sitting for full games and we need him to be able to do that off the bench. So his job game by game and his minutes game by game, as as we've spoken about previously, may really differ based on who's out there. So I'm prepared to see a lot of different types of THT. I'm interested in seeing based on if he does play those multiple roles, which one does he look better in? Has he had any growth? This is a quick turnaround for everyone. How does he hit the ground running and try to make a case for himself to get some minutes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's the best way to use him. Um, and I actually am expecting him to, the more, uh, the closer we get, I guess, to the season. And I think we talked a little bit about the wing, you know, kind of, that that size of guy, maybe the the one, two, three, the depth there gets a little bit thin pretty quickly. And THT proved himself in the couple minutes in in the playoffs. And LeBron has spoke very highly of him, even considering his young age. So I I, I just wonder. Yeah, I think he he could have a bigger role uh, this year than than we all think. Uh, but moving on a little bit, Tim, this preseason. I fully expect this first game, right, on Friday, uh, a full dose of, of Harrell and Schroeder playing together, probably getting the same minutes. And just, you know, you play with your guys in practice. You play with, you know, 80% intensity. You, you're trying, but you know, obviously don't want to get anyone hurt. And you're playing each other. So you kind of have an idea of what works, you know, how you want to play together. But now you're getting to play another team and and i'm i think yeah so i think Schroeder and harrell are going to be the uh, full center stage in, in this coming up game 
Yeah, I would think so too, because they seem like the guys that will play, we're not going to be sitting them like LeBron or AD might sit. And if you remove LeBron and AD, those are probably two, maybe the top two, maybe two of the top three guys that are going to be having the ball in their hands scoring for this team. So expect a lot of them. Uh, I'm excited to see what that chemistry looks like. I can't wait to see Schroeder Harrell. I can't wait to see Schroeder Gasol and how those ball screens look. Uh, I'm interested to see if Schroeder's able to adapt his ball screen game to adjust for not having quite the same lob threat as he had in Erlens Noel last season with Harrell. With Harrell, it might be more get that pocket pass, dump off, that, that he's then able to take a dribble and finish strong. Um, so seeing how that chemistry looks will be in- really interesting. Uh, and yeah, offensively, I think for the most part, we know who's going to do what, but I think that combo specifically will be really interesting. And then Wes Matthews, is he standing around offensively or is he someone that is used off of screens? Cause those are two different ways he's been used in the past. Milwaukee kind of did less with him than they could have. That Mavs the season before used him very often, very frequently and in really smart ways as an off screen guy. And he was pretty impactful for them. So which Wes Matthews is he physically from a capability standpoint? And then how does, how do the Lakers choose to utilize him? I think those are some of the big questions for me. And then Gasol, obviously, how does his passing materialize? Is it just kind of there or are we being really purposeful about tapping into that? And is it, especially knowing that we may not have as many set plays, are we going to implement split cuts, which can be really easy to get in the system and then see all year long? Or is it going to be only in specific set plays, types of situations that we see that really good passing from him materialize on the court? Yeah, unfortunately, despite, you know, not having very, very many of these preseason games, I, I still don't feel like we're going to be learning a whole lot of of stuff at least in the first couple games but yeah guys like McKinney Tim we, we haven't talked about at least together how the Lakers brought back Quinn Cook so you know he doesn't have a fully guaranteed contract but he could very well make his way onto this team and if not the Lakers could still sign you know a free agent backup point guard off the trash heap but it, I wonder to see what he looks like if he's still the same player you know I, I assume so but what I guess, if anything, then from the end of the bench, guys, because I was just looking at the the Lakers, some of the preseason highlights from last year, just looking at I, to see if I could find something that we gleaned, you know, at least in the big, the long term. Like we saw some of the AD LeBron chemistry once they started to play, you know, the the pass aheads and the easy buckets um, and how LeBron will take risks trying to put AD in kind of a better situation. But, you know, I, if they're not playing, you're going to learn about these guys like McKinney. And, uh, what, if anything, I guess, do you expect to see from a guy like that, uh, in a, in a couple of preseason games? I, he, he's going to be a guy that's probably going to be an athletic finisher offensively, finishing cuts, getting putbacks, standing around without really being a floor spacer. I, I don't have high hopes for what he's able to do with this specific team. I think Cook might be someone we see score a bit more just because he has that shooting ability. He's not really a a playmaker from the guard position, but him being able to space the floor, maybe run a ball screen and and take some pull-ups will result in us seeing a little bit more from him. I don't anticipate he plays Friday just because I I believe the earliest he'd be able to practice would be Thursday based on when he was signed and the the process for like passing his physical and his COVID tests and everything like that. But I don't know from the end of bench guys, I'm really focused on THT. Um, 
And then another interesting thing for me that I want to keep an eye out for that we might not see, but we could see is, do you remember a couple seasons ago when Josh Hart in preseason, was he suddenly used like a point guard in ball screens out of nowhere? Um, Do we see something like that for Alex Caruso where they think they can add that capability for him and they just want to try it out on higher volume, give him a shot in games that don't really matter to show that he can do that. Cause if he can, that helps the offense that makes a more dynamic offense for the Lakers. If he can't, then, you know, we won't use it. And he didn't really use it all that much last season, but this might be the period of time where we see some experimenting uh, in, in ways like that. And maybe not just cause we only have a week, but that's another, you know, not like a, a lower bench guy, but that's a new interesting thing I'm keeping an eye out for. Now let's, let's talk more, I guess, about some of the other guys like, like Gasol and Matthews. Maybe they start, uh, so Schroeder, Caruso, Matthews, uh, Keith and Harrell, right? Let's, let's say they, they're trying to focus on Harrell and Schroeder at first. When you bring in those other guys like Gasol and Matthews, I guess, is there something with the second unit you might want to see with Mark Gasol trying to run out of the high post and just, you know, run split cuts and kind of natural motion basketball without really, you know, offensive sets in place? Or I know this is driving you crazy, but this is more what I feel like the team runs offensively than this, you know, strict kind of playbook. Uh, it, it feels a lot more loose out there on the offensive end. So. What are you going to look for with with Gasol and and some of those improvisational stuff? Yeah, so improvising is good. The ability to improvise is, improvise is good. And when we see the like, occasional cut or the occasional split cut, that's exciting for me. What I want to see, that is the right mix between organization and tapping into the talent and letting the freelance take over is a principle-based offense where we say – like it's not a diagram set play necessarily, but if the ball gets to mark in the high post and no play is called, we're going to want a split cut run. Or if we're running a isolation for LeBron on the left side of the court and you're on the right side of the court and we've got two perimeter guys, somebody is going to set a screen for somebody else. Just little things like that, that keep guys moving, keep guys trying to do things. So we see more of the playmaking from guys like LeBron and Gasol out of the high and low post more than just when everybody's standing around and the defense falls asleep and then somebody cuts. I want more purposeful, intentional action. And you can put that into an offense with things like split cuts, which is when two players converge, one will set a flare screen for the other, or I guess a a pin down screen for the other. And then that screener will then cut towards the rim. If there is a switch, the cut towards the rim has a good chance to be open. If there's no switch, that shooter has a good chance to be open. And if neither of it works, you're still at least occupying two potential help defenders, and it makes it easier for someone like LeBron James who might be isolating to ISO one-on-one. For Marcus Gasol, it may not matter as much because he's probably not going to be that big-time scorer. Um, but you run a set like that trying to create offense and try to drag away that help defense for guys like LeBron or AD. Yeah, definitely. And I, I also uh, want to see if they'll try and push the pace. You know, I think the shooter mentioned that, uh, playing in transition, uh, it's, is really good for his game and, and he's comfortable with it. Uh, so is there stuff like, you know, push the ball even in semi transition and see more of these kind of, um, 
instant drags, you know, or mm-hmm. like really high up ball screens to get somebody going downhill. I, I wonder if we could see that too. Like somebody setting a screen at half court or closer, you know, like once you get that rebound. And I, I also wonder too, if with a guy like Gasol on the court, I was thinking about this yesterday. You know how when AD closes out really hard on a perimeter shooter, his principle is just to kind of keep running. I think you could see that with LeBron too, with a guy like Gasol being able to hit those touchdown passes, you know, over the top. Because if you're, LeBron's going to close out hard, yeah, just keep going. You know, like we, we're going to make that a principle for you too, LeBron. Yeah. So, so what you're talking about is when like, the ball gets kicked to the top of the key and it's 80s man and he runs up, he puts his hand high, he sprints, tries to contest the shot and they do shoot it. He knows there's going to be a rebound opportunity, but he's so far out that instead of trying to crash the boards and go opposite with uh, opposite his momentum, he just keeps on going and gains that advantage from being ahead of the rest of the group, being a right. leak out transition guy. I'm on board with that. I think that's really smart basketball. Uh, you obviously don't want everybody doing something like that, or you don't want AD right. leaving from like the low post to go sprint out and transition, but positional understanding, you know, just that court awareness, where are you on the court and how can you add value having guys that either crash the defensive boards or run in transition is what you want. You don't want just guys standing around in between. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm on board with that. I think just, just little things like that, that is organized basketball, but not in a really strict sense. The same thing as, okay, our transition offense with Marcus Gasol, he's going to be a trailer versus our transition offense with AD, he's going to be sprinting out looking to get the ball in the low post. Or if it is Markeith Morris, we're going to have him try to set one of those high ball screens and then he's going to pop. It can be a different style. It's still organized, uh, but it still allows the players to have some sort of freedom within the game and in a way that's easier to implement in a, an environment like preseason. Yeah, it's another way of kind of uh controlling your opportunities in transition. Like it's hard to be a f- super fast team with Mark Gasol in your lineup, but there are ways, you know, obviously you're not expecting him to run up and down the court with every possession. So maybe he's trailing, like you said. So we could see a lot more top of the key three attempts from him if the defense recovers and kind of packs the paint and forces that kick out. You know, that's an element that we haven't seen from our center, uh, in a long time. So that's just very valuable. And I, I want to see principles like that. Um, Marcus all trailing if he's not able to, you know, get that ball up, uh, up the court quickly. So yeah, that, that, that's another good one. Um, I don't know. Is there, I'm watching, I was playing some of the clips, uh, Tim from the preseason last year and you can still see, how the Lakers wanted to play. It's still there. It, it's again, it's like 80% of intensity basketball stars aren't going to hold the ball for too long. They're going to keep it moving and just get other guys shots. And you run a little play for Avery Bradley, you know, you run a little uh pin down for him and give him a mid ranger. So I want to see other pet plays like that for Schroeder. Um, we talked a little bit about stuff for him off ball. Mm-hmm. Is there, is there a particular action you're going to see with Schroeder? And it depends on what lineups we see with him that you think, oh, yeah, this is a good principle for him off ball stuff because he might be expected to have the ball a lot tonight. Anything off ball you're looking out for, for with him? Yeah, I'd say a couple actions come to mind. So we've spoken about that AI Allen Iverson cut where he's cutting mm-hmm. from wing to wing looking to get the ball turned the corner. That's one. That's that's an action that can help get him downhill. I think 
running sets where he's able to get the ball off of handoffs and then try to turn the corner is another smart one. So like if you have him in the corner and he runs off a pin down to the elbow and then receives a handoff from Marcus Saul and then tries to dribble to the rim, that could be something that makes more sense for him than we ran it for like Avery Bradley and KCP last season. Uh, he's <laughs> yeah. a little bit better at doing that sort of offense. Um, off ball, I also think if you want to tap into a shooting in those secondary break semi transition situations, when the defense just naturally is trying to defend their rim, setting pin in flare screens for him. So he doesn't actually have to run to his catch and shoot, but he's able to be stationary and let his guy just be screened. That I think is a smart way to use him. Uh, flare screens would be a smart way to use him. I would love to see like, I don't know if you run a horn set and he's the ball handler at the point and he enters the ball into Marcus all and then goes and sets a screen for the other big at that elbow to cut to the rim. Maybe you have an easy layup for, I don't know, we'll say Montrose Harrell. And if not, uh, Schroeder can then pop out and receive the handoff from Gasol and, and you can look to run something. So there, there's just a lot you can flow into other actions, but just conceptually either get him three point shots without having to sprint into it or get him opportunities to turn the corner and drive towards the rim. Those are the two things I'm keeping an eye out for with Montrez Harrell off ball during the preseason. I mean, okay, then. So then how much are you going to overreact when he gets like 12 ISO post possessions <laughs> in this game? Uh, it's going to happen. I'm going to be angry about something <laughs> on Friday. We just don't know what yet. Uh, My money's on that. That's, that's a, it's a high candidate of likelihood to happen. Yeah, it, it'll it be interesting. And it, we're going to see things in preseason that either the Lakers have success with something that is easily stoppable, but opposing defense just aren't running the right screen coverage against it just because they're trying to implement, you know, their defense instead of what works best against us. We're going to see some of that. We're going to see some of that on the other end where we look like we're defending things poorly when reali in reality, we're just trying to practice specific coverages. Just, I don't know, take everything with a grain of salt. Enjoy the games. Try to understand the intent behind things. Are we experimenting with a player in a new way? Are we, is this showing us how the team is going to use Dennis Schroeder off ball or how are we going to use him on ball? Just little things like that is really what we can learn from this. And you can get a sense for what physical condition some of these players are in. Because another thing we've spoken about in the past is how does Marcus All, who's in his thirties, how does Wes Matthews, who in, who's in his thirties, how do they hold up this season physically and how quick are they? We've seen Marcus All not look so great in the playoffs last season, but I'm seeing pictures of him looking much more lean, much more in shape. How how does that translate to on-court play? And this is our first look at that. It's uh, not going to be the most illuminating night. Uh, we're playing the Clippers. I don't know. I mean, if I'm the Clippers, I play them as you know much as I can. The stars, you need to get out there and get things set straight and find some chemistry early because it is going to be a quick season. Um, so... I don't know uh, what else we can learn from this, Tim. Uh, what about – how about we move on here then, unless you got anything about the preseason? Yeah, the only last thing I would say is we want to figure out how the Lakers want to run their defensive schemes. This is not a team – I think people can confuse these things. The Lakers did not run the same coverage all season last year. They mixed it up a bit. 
we were 14th in terms of the ball screen coverage variance among the 30 teams last season. We were about average. We didn't mix it up every game, but we certainly didn't do the same thing every game. The reason for that is because we found specific groupings of players that had specific identities. This group is going to be switching. That group's always going to run drop coverage. This group's always going like more aggressive screen coverages. We want to figure out who are those units, which like which lineups that are played will end up becoming what I'd call a unit where it is something like this. This group has an identity and they're going to be seeing minutes together in the future. Which units can we identify from preseason? How do they play? What is their identity? Because within a game, you have so many different five-man lineups. What are the units? How do they play? What is their identity? That'll help us see what the future might look like in specific ways. That's the last thing I wanted to say. Can we see a guy like Cal Kuzma, who might play less minutes this year, maybe with more consistency in the lineups, the way I, I pitched during our rotation uh, building pod? Um, mm-hmm. Are guys like him able to find a specific role with a specific group of, group of players? That's the other thing to keep an eye out for. But uh, I think... Overall, we've covered what I'm really watching, what we're both watching for in preseason, and what and what we're hoping to determine from those games. I I tend to agree. It's just it's tricky when you don't have a lot of time. You're making big yeah. decisions based off of like a four minute sample, mm-hmm. as far as lineups go, and and taking into consideration you're playing someone's second, third, fourth string as well, but. Nonetheless, it's it's real basketball. It matters, even if it's only a little bit. You learn things, and it gives you a chance to try things uh, and see how they work without, you know, fear of losing uh, a meaningful game. So, mm-hmm. on that note, Tim, we've been pretty effusive and uh, positive about the Lakers' off season. I think we're both still there, but. We try to also be as objective as possible and look at things from all sides and try to unpack why things happen and what we think could happen. And today we're going to talk about like the greatest concerns you have for this team. Concerns could be, you know, uh, rotations or, you know, uh, the playoff big rotation, the, you know, limited ball handling, the, the Harold LeBron pairing, it could be whatever you want. So I'm going to cede the floor to you and fart as far as getting into your first kind of greatest concern for the 2020, 2021 Lakers season. Sure. Uh, so one of the items I have on my list and I have a few, cause you, you think about if this were to go poorly, how could someone in theory beat us? And I try to think tactically, like wh- what are the holes in this team? Where could the holes be? And the Lakers are in a good position because right now, instead of having really clear weaknesses, it's more a, well, in theory, if this doesn't pan out, here's a weakness I would target. But depending on what we see, it, it might actually be fine. Uh, Wes Matthews, Marcus All, those are two guys getting older. If Matthews, we've seen his on-ball defense be good as like a wing stopper, but on this team where he fits in the rotation, we may see him used more as one of those off-ball chasers where he was very weak last season. And we went into some of the film of why it was poor, where it might be able to improve, where it might not be able to improve. If he's in that job and not optimized well defensively, that is a weakness and will come out against some teams more than others. Uh, but it's just something just from a defensive slotting position i have concern with what he looks like with gasol same sort of thing but uh just in terms of not really a scheme coverage thing but how does he hold up physically throughout the year is he someone you can rely on 
to even be good at the things he was good at last year. Can he space the floor? Can he defend the rim more kind of in an elevator, more uh, not quite as in space? Can he run drop coverage effectively? Can, can they do the couple things we're expecting them to do well? And if not, then you have a problem because neither our guard or big man rotations are super deep this year, uh, especially with those specific skills. So that's something that if, if Matthews doesn't pan out as a chaser, but that's what he's doing often, then you just have KCP and Caruso as the only two guys that can do that. But can you have one of them on the court at all times over 48 minutes? Uh, how does Matthews fit in defensively? And then Gasol, if you can't defend on, depend on him to defend at the rim, does is AD able to do that all all the time, or are we relying on Harold to do that? So it's not a super big concern, but just something to to watch for. Because if they're not performing up to par, uh, the Lakers may want to be active from a trade standpoint in trying to address what you were hoping to get with those two players. Hmm. Yeah, I think I think you make a good point uh, there. I I wonder. <laughs> this isn't really you know super practical or common or. I, I think it should be. Why not? Right. But in those certain games where you maybe need a chaser a little bit more than what Mess Matthews brings, why, why not have this standing, um, matchup based two guard spot that you start Wes Matthews or KCP depending? You know, I, I think that's a great strategic, uh, tool in your toolbox, but I, that's not really how coaches do this. Yeah, it's tough. Defensively, it's it's tougher to do that, especially in the regular season. In the playoffs, you can try to be more purposeful about that. And thinking about a defense, depending on who you're playing, your defense is as good as your weakest link. And I think we have potential weak links at the point of attack position. If if you are to try to ISO against KCP on the perimeter with a bigger wing or uh, against Schroeder with a bigger wing, those are pretty good matchups for another team. If you want to try to get Montrezl Harrell in space, that's probably a good matchup. Or Marcus All in space, that's probably a good matchup. Um, there are only so many guys you can bench in a playoff series and have enough bodies to throw to throw throw out there. So, what are those weak links? Which guys can we just afford to say, "Hey, you're taking the series off," versus which are ones we're going to have to live through and hope it works out or start using tactical things to overcome stuff? And defensively, I have pretty good confidence that Vogel will be able to do that. Offensively, another concern of mine is will Vogel be able to make the most out of the PCC he's given? Uh, given that the guys we've brought in can do more than the, the the players they were replacing last season on the offensive end, Schroeder can do more than Rondo, Harrell can do more than our other bigs. We now have another post threat. Now we have three of I think the top sixteen post uh, volume players in the league. How does that clog up the paint, or what does that look like schematically? There's there's a lot that the, the pieces just need to fit together offensively, and I don't have the utmost confidence that this coaching staff is the best at that. I think they're okay at that, but uh, they're going to have to show how they can make the new pieces fit because in the past, it was very much, here are the couple guys that can do stuff. Everybody else, you're a finisher, either as a spot-up shooter or as a dump-off guy. Now we have some in-between players, and the Lakers need to figure out how to make those puzzle pieces fit together to make the prettiest picture. Now, forgive me for my ignorance here, but uh, I didn't see anything. I'm just assuming that the Lakers are are running back their same assistant coaching staff, right? From what I understand, that appears to be the case. Yeah. 
So it, you would expect again, why, why, why switch it up? At least on that end of things, they did have a lot of experience with, you know, guys like Lionel Hollins and Jason Kidd and then, uh, uh, you know, obviously Phil Handy. So they got the job done. So give them another year if they're willing to, uh, run it back. But I agree that, you know, again, like I'm not sure the Lakers even really under Phil Jackson ever had like, the brilliant X's and O's. That's just never been the team identity that we've had. We play through stars, right? And we let our stars make the team better and put everyone else in a position to succeed. So I'm going to get to my concern now. Sorry. Um, what I've been so concerned about is on a, a game to game basis, as the regular season wears on, the amount of of responsibility on Anthony Davis's back defensively is starting to worry me. And to be that defensive juggernaut, it helped to have a JaVale and a Dwight there. And JaVale, if only in just this sheer, sheer length, right? He would block shots and contest stuff just because of how he's like seven three and crazy long wingspan. So that's not Marcus all. Marks defends the rim in a different way. And then you got no one else. Yeah, Montrez Harrell, it's not really a guy who defends the rim. You know, he's practically closer to LeBron size than Anthony Davis. So as the team goes through the season and they need rim protection and scoring, I have to wonder if, if anything, if Anthony Davis has to focus more on the defensive end, then, and, and maybe he's able to do that when you have a guy like Schroeder and Harrell, but. Can Schroeder and Harrell be as efficient as AD was when he gets less touches? And can Anthony Davis save you enough on the defensive end to make the drop from, not saying it's a drop from Dwight to him, but, you know, is that the best use of your resources, I guess? Because Mm -hmm. Anthony Davis can be that, you know, um, master key to help you play any, any lineup you want, basically. But, is that worth it, I guess? Yeah, here would be the hope. Montrez Harrell last season, he was put into that anchor big position. He was played as a five all year. We know that isn't the best way to use him, not the way to make the most out of him. But based on who's on this team this season, in the regular season, if Anthony Davis is playing power forward, Montrez Harrell's probably playing that anchor big spot again. One of, one of the two of them is going to have to defend the rim as a primary job. They're both going to do a bunch of different things, but one of the two of them will need to take on that position when on the court at the same time, which should be pretty often this year. When Gasol's out there, that'll be him. When Marquis out there, that won't be him. We only have three of those guys that can do that, in theory. When we look at how Harrell performed in that role last season, even knowing he's undersized, he did pretty well in terms of uh, affecting the shooting percentage of opponents at the rim relative to to what they'd expect. If you go to that like NBA.com slash stats site and look at that rim defense, he actually did a, a much better job than I would have assumed. And he's also a guy that I think is pretty active as a helper on drives in a way that either as the anchor big or a perimeter big, I think will bode well for him. So I still agree with you. We are taking a step back from the interior defense, in, from an interior defensive standpoint, but I don't think it's quite a full plummet. It's not like Harold is Markeith Morris as a, like help rim protector. He's still able to get in there and block some shots with his athleticism. And I think it'll be enough 
that the Lakers can still be really good defensively, but I agree that we probably won't be at that same level we were last season, at least not in the same sort of way. So I, I see what you're seeing. I think it's a real concern. I think the Lakers have the pieces to work around that and still be okay, but it's going to come down to can Montrez Harrell on high volume in important times be a rim protector if he is that yeah. primary guy being attacked at the rim? Can he run drop coverage? Can he go block a shot? We know he's a weak post defender, but can the other off-ball parts of his interior defense be strong enough to make it okay? And if Harrell can at least abide by the team defense and be where his teammates expect him to be and where his coach expects him to be, I trust Vogel's, you know, defensive talent and adjustments to help the pieces around him, right? If he's saying like, no, this is what you're good at, Trez. And these are the positions, like, if you do get beat, he, he can make some, you know, we've seen him make some nice kind of recovery blocks because of his quick jumping ability and, uh, his, his speed and athleticism. But so maybe on the help side, you know, you see Trez, Trez, you see an opportunity on the, on the help defense to get a help block, do that and we'll rotate on the weak side and, and kind of keep that scramble mentality that they had last year. So I, I can see it working out too but you know this is a lot of uh general nba uh people's concern with some of the lakers move uh moves this uh, off season but the good thing about harrell is again to me ad is the piece that the clippers didn't have to put him in lineups that can succeed and uh schroeder is the guy who is the Lou Williams proxy. So you can take advantage of the positives that at least he brought yep. and mitigate some of those negatives. Yeah. Yeah. And the issues, I think part of it is diagnosing what was wrong with Montrez Harrell last season, even with the role and situation he was in. I think there were other things to point out and say he didn't do well here, but his like help rim protection was, was actually like, it, it's better than he gets credit for. And like you were saying, he now has guys around him in AD who's going to be flying in from the perimeter to go block a shot or LeBron James, who we know can be a really good help uh, backline rim protector. He has guys like that to really help. And one of the really good things that uh, Wes Matthews is, is really strong with is cutting off drives. If someone's gotten beat on the perimeter and Wes Matthews rotates over, he does a really good job cutting that drive off. And some of that perimeter defense, I think will help support the interior guys in a way opposite of some other teams that might have really strong dominant rim protectors just to clean up mistakes from the perimeter. This year, I think we have the perimeter defense to have both of those sides be strong enough that we don't see as much of teams being able to just attack the rim at will against the Lakers. And as in the past, if the Lakers can own the rim on both ends of the court, they're going to win a ton of ball games. It's I can't I can't believe this basket. I still like uh, I'm gonna watch basketball on Friday night and be completely just. Anyway, we have a question from the chats, Tim. So I want to pull that from from Kwame Bayo. Any concerns about Vogel's rotations? People might have forgotten because Rondo went nuts during the finals, but there was a lot of frustration around Rondo's minutes during the regular season and Caruso not getting enough minutes. I I think Rondo was you you had to play him i he still ha gives you something that crusoe doesn't as far as uh crusoe deserving more minutes i i can't disagree with that but 
Rondo brought something to the team that they're still kind of lacking in, in that uh ball domination and and you know getting guys in position and kind of organizing the offense. They really only have like two guys like that now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's the difference regular season between last year and this year with the guards. Last year we had Caruso, who we have now. We had KCP, who we have now. We had Danny Green, who we've we've replaced with Wes Matthews. We also had Avery Bradley, who we don't have anymore. And to replace Ronda, we have Schroeder. So we have one less guy, one less rotation player, because all those guys were rotation players. We have one fewer rotation guy to split up minutes between. So because of that, if this question is specifically around more Caruso and how he's going to find time, I have confidence that he'll be able to get 20, 25 minutes a game, I think, with this team this year, based on just what that depth looks like, unless for some reason THT is getting like 10 or 15 minutes a game, that starts to cut into probably Caruso. Because like you're saying, Rondo, he brought something the team needed, even though there were things we were certainly frustrated with last year in the in the mm-hmm. regular season. And overall, like he was not a positive player in the regular season. We, we can, like all day, we can talk about that. But this year, yeah. we've replaced that skill set with Schroeder, who's going to be that on-ball playmaker, can run ball screens, do that kind of stuff. So the, the big difference from Caruso's standpoint will be I have one less guy to compete with minutes for. And because of that, he'll play more as he did last year in the playoffs. And you kind of touched on it. Um, I mean, I know we're kind of going over greatest concerns. So I'll try to wrap this into that where I think if you unfortunately do have injuries or, you know, any kind of COVID time being missed, that's an area where you could see the Lakers being really vulnerable. And, you know, maybe Quinn Cook does make the team and get that guaranteed contract, or maybe they try and bring someone else in. There's still some guys I still think Napier hasn't signed. I'm not sure if he's waiting for, you know, if, if he can't get a contract or what. I, I think he is a, ba- a decent backup point guard and will sign for the minimum, it looks like. But, you know, I'd rather have him than Cook still. But, no, I I like Quinn Cook. I'm I'm happy for him. But it it could be a roster spot that the Lakers would really need depending on uh, how the sh- season shakes out. But – I guess then for Caruso, how do they, um, transition him into, he's going to be a free agent this coming summer. It's going to be a priority. I expect to bring him back. How, do, how can they, you know, open up his game a little bit more and, uh, and see how he can grow? Is it in that playmaking, get the ball in his hands more? Cause I have some concerns about that. Yeah. I, I think that's the, probably the next step for him. It's either that, which I think we might see experimenting with in the, in the, uh, po- not postseason in the preseason. Although I don't have the most faith that he'll be able to do it. We just might give it a shot that, or he becomes more of a movement shooter than a stationary shooter. When he is spotting up, can he shoot while running into his shots? That would be useful. That would give him more scoring opportunities that would increase his off ball gravity. Cause we know he's a screener off ball. We know he's a cutter off ball. We know he can hit stationary threes on ball. He's limited. He can be a trigger man in sets, but he's not going to be your heavy pick and roll kind of guy. If he can increase his capability to either score and or make better reads and ball screens, not the simple ones, the more complex ones, that would be a step forward for him. The other thing would be, can he really take control in terms of his leadership and getting guys organized in that Rondo kind of way to say, all right, you go there, you go there, we're running this set and helping orchestrate things. Those are the different potential 
paths forward for him. We might also see him not take a step forward, and that could be completely fine because he does still add value with what he currently does offensively and defensively. Oh, sure, he's, sure. he's he's a fantastic player, very uh, wonderfully versatile, can play point of attack, can be a chaser, can be more of a helper. He can do a bunch of different things. So he doesn't need to take a step forward, and based on the short turnaround time, I'm not sure he will, but if he does, it'll be in one of those few ways. No, I just mean like, you know where I'm coming from, I think. We're on the same page. It's just every year, especially a guy in Alex Caruso's age, you know, and his temperament, I can see the Lakers being like, all right, Alex, this year it's, you know, shooting off the dribble or, you know, this year it's, you know, pick and roll playmaking, you know, we want you to organize, you know, they, they have expectations and goals for these guys to grow each year. And, and I still, I agree. He's at least like a $10 million a year player to me and, and what he brings to the table and his strengths and how important they can be in the 16 game format. So, you know, obviously this is a very pro Caruso podcast. I just want to see, you know, how else they can, make him a playmaker and uh, a big part of the offense without having to score. And I think he's smart enough to do it because if you're smart enough to read some of those passing lanes and understand those defensive principles, you just reverse it. And you got to have that offensive intelligence to, you know, protect the ball, but take chances where chances need to be taken and, and make that, that pass, you know, uh that pocket pass and, and back cut somebody, you know, He's great at the off-ball stuff, but we want to see him get some more on-ball um, work. So I am just want to quickly go through these as far as you got to consider these concerns, right? Tim, do you have any kind of overall injury concerns over this season? I mean, I'm, I'm concerned everybody can get injured. I don't know. Uh, it's it's one of those things where... Well, no, I mean like more than usual, you know? Oh, like, I, I think in short general... Short turnaround. Yes. Yeah, yeah, short turnaround, going from zero to 100 with a short preseason, a little bit of a, like not as much rest between the last time we played and now, plus the quick ramp up. Yeah, I have concerns. I think the team will try to manage that by easing guys into minutes and hopefully that works out. But if an injury happens, an injury happens, but it's... It's hard to get too deep into that and project what might happen or who might get hurt, you know? Yeah, I just meant more like, yeah, it does the short turnaround concern you. And I think we're on the same page and and saying, yes, I think they'll take uh, steps to mitigate that risk, but it's, it's risk nonetheless. Um, Mm -hmm. any other, um, so we have some questions in the chat. I'll get out here. I don't know off the top of my head who, uh, best potential buyout candidates are, but. If it happens, Ariza, Ariza. Yeah, that's a good one. Ariza's a good one. Uh, you get basically, yeah, target guys on non-playoff teams, high dollar contracts that teams would probably like to get off of. Look at teams in the tax. They have some incentive to get off some of that. But mm-hmm. the concern for me as far as like the overall scope of this season is that the quick entry time for, you know, almost half of the rotation limits their progress and slows down their path to becoming the team. I think this, this roster is capable of becoming, which is a title contender. They've got the pieces. We got to see how they all work together. And, you know, this quick turnaround, like we might not see them hit their stride to me until March, but you know, I don't know. Maybe yeah. that's not the case. It's an interesting, I think the Lakers are in between a balance of they've like touched basketballs more recently than a lot of teams. So they may have 
a little True. bit of a carryover of being in some sort of shape from the recent playoff run. On the opposite side of it, they had less just dedicated practice player development time than other teams did. So we may see less of a jump from specific guys in, in specific ways that they otherwise would be able to develop a bit more if they had an extra couple months to work on a specific skill. So we might not see, like Caruso, if the Lakers were out in the first round of the playoffs, we might have seen Caruso be able to develop more as a ball screen reader <laughs> from home. Uh, but instead, mm-hmm. we saw us in the playoffs. So there are specific things we may not see that we otherwise could have in theory, but I don't know. I'm Everybody's in the same sort of situation where it's a quick turnaround, short preseason. I think where the Lakers are hurt more than other teams is the player development, but I think we're set up just as well as anyone else in terms of ramping up based on how recently the team played as long as you're not as long as you're managing the workload you don't want to have guys like going too hard too fast uh especially some of those bigger minute playoff guys but i mean look at some other teams look at uh international soccer or look at women's basketball like they have shorter preseasons too and it's fine and there aren't huge injury spikes but it's something to manage we'll see how the team does it i have one other big concern that i teased a little bit on twitter that I would love to take a couple minutes to discuss. Okay, for sure. Yeah, just just let me on the last thing really quick on that yeah. last point you made. Um, yeah, again, everyone's dealing with these these circumstances. I think you laid it out well there. But you know, look at what happened to the Clippers last season. You know, with the when you load manage and yes, a lot of it's self inflicted, but. The Lakers, um, obstacles are not unlike what the Clippers were trying to overcome last year and reducing the load for some of these guys who have played a lot in the last year and really focusing on, on, uh, the long-term picture while still, it, it, you have to shoot the gap there between the long-term picture and the short-term, you know, chemistry that you're building too. So I just, that, that's my last concern as far as, you know, them be falling just a little bit short when they need to get there in, in June. So, so counterpoint, most of this team has played together before. The culture is better. The leadership is better. The, these guys have earned it. And think about the Clippers, or not the Clippers, the Spurs teams in the past who they had those consistent teams that they made the most out of guys. They had that core together for a long time. They started resting their better players for entire games at a time. And that was seen as a positive because it kept their bench engaged. You had guys who went from zero minutes to 20 minutes. And because they knew they were going to play real consistent minutes, they stayed ready. We might see THT perform better going from zero to 25 minutes once a week, once or twice a week, because he knows it's going to come. And that benefited that team in the future, because if guys did go down, their role players, that next man up mentality was there. And the practice time was there already because they had those opportunities in real games. So it can be a good thing. I think the way it's framed, the way the culture is, can impact a lot of it. And then how well it works out or doesn't work out shapes the way we look at it as well. So, so what's your, uh, what's your big concern, Tim? So it's not, it's, it is a real concern. It is not going to like end the Lakers season. It is not going to keep us from the playoffs. It might hurt us in the playoffs. And it is something that I see, I assumed would ha- work. And I see others assuming will work. And I see a lot of highlight scouting. And we know the dangers of highlight scouting. If if Tim does something 10 times and two times it looks awesome and the other eight times it doesn't look good, but only those two times are on the highlights, we might assume Tim's good at it when I actually stink. Dennis Schroeder isolating versus switches. Let's talk about that. His isolation offense in general is good. His 
burst and his ability to get to the rim. He's got a little bit of craft. We've talked about that. That's good. His getting to rim rating is elite. His finishing at the rim rating was a B. And it's a B because his his actual finishing at the rim was about average, but his shot difficulty was really high. So that's that's kind of what we've spoken about already. But when you look at specific isolation after switches, it, that data is poor and it's been poor for years. And when we look at the types of shots he takes, how he gets to those shots and the type of player he is, it, it does make sense to me. Um, looking at just his efficiency, isolating after ball screens, this past season was like 0.84 points per possession. Uh, he's forcing shots that shows up on the film. We see him more often than not, or not, not more often than not, but more often than in other areas needing to not even get a shot off. And he's a normally very strong mid range shooter that in ISO last season after switches, he shot six for 21. The season before he shot three for 19. The season before that, he shot 12 for 26. The year before that, he shot seven for 16. And then he only took four the year before that. So that's five seasons of he's an awesome mid-range shooter in general and in ball screens. But in isolation, he struggled. And the reason for this, watching through the film, is that when he's isolating, he's his three-point game isn't being respected. Big men, when they're switched onto him, they're not up in his face trying to take that three away. They're able to step back need to defend less space and because of that be able to drop to defend the rim better than they normally would if let's think about it from a if, if you're running drop coverage on a ball screen versus a hard hedge if you need to retreat and defend the rim you have less space to cover and drop and that's why it's better defending the rim it's that same sort of concept where when he's attacking you in iso he's not a three level scorer he's not even a two level scorer because his mid-range game the way he gets to those shots and the way he normally is kind of floating forward into those pull-up mid-rangers that he's so good at is different when he's isolating, when he's got a guy in front of him and he needs to go from zero to 50 to zero again. It's different than in ball screens. And we've seen him struggle with this consistently. And because of that, his shot profile skews heavily towards shooting at the rim and ISO much more so than in general and, and specifically in those switch situations. But he is a smaller guy. We've seen him struggle to finish at the rim. He doesn't finish into contact all that well. He avoids contact very well. Or, I'm sorry, he avoids contact often. He's taking these really funky, wild shots at the rim that sometimes go in and they look good, but more often than not, they're not going in. And it's he's a guy okay. that his tendencies are so strong towards when he's isolating, he's going to drive versus take a shot. And then when he does drive, he's at the high end with his tendency to try to go all the way to the rim versus pull up or take a floater. So you know what he's going to do. As a big man, you're able to drop to defend the rim, and he finishes much worse over and around big men than if he's isolating against another guard that he's able to just kind of finish over when they're both a little bit shorter. So that hurts him. His vision on these isolations, he's missing guys left and right if you watch the film when he's driving to the rim. And as a smaller guy, you can kind of understand that a little bit. Um, this is kind of why we see him taking higher rates of shots for himself in those situ situations compared to what the average player shoots when they're isolating against the switch. Um, it's He's taking harder shots than he needs to. And in this way, it's 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 something that concerns me a little bit because we assumed, we saw last season, the LeBron AD pick and roll, when he switched it, it didn't work. This year, if it's a Schroeder AD pick and roll and they switch it, it should work better for AD because he'll have a point guard on him instead of more of a wing type defender that would be defending LeBron. But from the Schroeder standpoint, I wouldn't bank on it is what yeah. I'm saying. I have concern. It's not going to kill the team, but it's it, it, people are assuming up, it's not. Up, it's there up. when it's not there. Time out. 
Time. I, I, and this is where I was like, you know, like a few minutes into what you're saying is like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, shooter. I can see that. Like, again, when I mentioned before, until the last couple of years, I wasn't a big fan of shooter. He, he forces a lot of things and he didn't seem to have a lot of a uh, high basketball IQ as far as what play to make, where to get the ball. Yep. He doesn't um, pass out. And he forced, forced shots. But, but the thing is now he has Anthony Davis and, you know, maybe he will now. I, I would assume buy into the good shot culture that the Lakers seem to have. Lakers take good shots. If you're a role player, you're not, unless it's you're up against the clock, you, you don't take bad shots. And the, right. We've talked about Kuzma with this and his, his F shot quality where everyone else on the team is like a 98 or above. Right. I, I think, I think I had that. Something right. like that. Yeah. But insanely high shot quality for these guys. And. You know, if he starts to take those, I, I have to assume that he's going to be talked to about the kind of shots to take because yeah, Tim, what you just laid out is the usually in these situations, he's going to be the pick and roll ball handler. They're going to set a screen with a big and he's going to have a big on him, right? A lot of this data, not all of it. Some of it's probably against wings too, but a lot of this data is him attacking bigs in the pick and roll is what I'm assuming. And. Who's the best player he's ever played with? Like Chris Paul, undoubtedly, but in Atlanta, you know, late, late, uh, or mid career, Al Horford, yeah, he's okay. He's not anybody you absolutely have to get the ball to on a switch the way Anthony Davis is. Like, if he gets a switch, I'm happy if he literally never attacks it because it means likely either LeBron or AD, there's a 50 50 chance between the other, you know, four other guys on the court. That LeBron or AD is going to have that mismatch and Schroeder is going to be forced to give them the ball. Uh, if, unless he wants to chew, being chewed out. Like that's to me where, uh, there's at least a, uh, in, you know, a solvable path forward as far as you're not good at that. Well, just don't do that. It, unless you have a great, you know, foot speed advantage. Yeah. If he can change his passing tendencies, yes. And, once he, the thing is, once he does drive, his pass out rates are horrible compared to other guards. D pass out rate, D minus assist rate. But like you're saying, if the answer to this is we run a pick and roll, the defense switches it, and he has somebody get to get the ball to that is better at isolating than him, great, that's fine. And this, looking at his isolation offense against bigs, being poor versus being really good, it doesn't really take away from who he could pass to and what they might be able to do. But if he's playing with Gasol and you switch that, yeah, there's sure. not really anything there. If you switch it with Harold, right. all right, we need Harold to go beat someone in the post, which it could be good offense. And he's, he's shown to be capable with that with AD. Yeah. Just get it to AD with LeBron. Same sort of thing. So it's not catastrophic. It's not going to kill the team. The right. switching ball screens and the ISO offense you get from that only is really impactive. If both guys aren't able to isolate, and it's really just that Schroeder Gasol pick and roll pairing that is kind of completely shut down if the defense starts to switch it. So I'm with you. It's not a huge deal. I just see it as something that people on Twitter, I'm seeing videos and I'm seeing people talk about it as this big strength he's going to bring. Temper your expectations. Sure. This isn't a just last season thing. This is four or five different seasons and we see right. why he's not as good at though the different type of mid range jumpers. And because he doesn't shoot those and he doesn't shoot the threes. Big men can focus on defending the rim, and we already know he struggles to finish over and tries to go around contact and big. So 
yeah, it's it, it, think and, and put this in perspective. If that's my biggest concern, this team's in pretty good shape. Sure. So yeah, yeah it's just one no, something I yeah. wanted to bring up. No, that's it's still really good to know, and and that's kind of what's fun about you know how you dive into the data and then you go into the film and it confirms or gives you more nuance as to what you're seeing because what you're describing to me makes me more concerned about him in the playoffs because you get more switches in the playoffs. You get more athletic, good foot speed, big men. You know, we're going to see him in the playoffs in Serge Ibaka and, uh, you know, some of these more athletic guys. So that's something to be concerned about and just kind of monitor and see how that, that all plays out. But, um, yeah, man, I, I think we're going to be wrapping it up here. We're, uh, going to try to be streaming pregame at least on Friday. Um, maybe even during the game, but we're definitely going to start pregame and I'll try to call hopefully Tim. This is my, my, uh, yeah, uh, this is my hope. And you guys saw how I, I hope to get this stream up and it took me a while, but my hope is that we can stream live during some of the games and give the fans some like a second screen experience that'd be pretty cool yeah that'd be a lot of fun and maybe we give it a shot even just with the two of us on sunday with the game when the game's at like eight instead of the later game um we have a bit of a time zone difference between the two of us uh but uh yeah pre-games post games during the games we're gonna see how we can expand this kind of coverage and uh see if we can dust off some of those i know you and, and your brother used to do some of those uh during the game uh <laughs> breakdown yeah. so you could you could be the play-by-play i'll be the analyst and i i even have one of those uh little annotation things and in, in the little pencil so maybe we'll play i'll be able to I love it. draw circle things and and you know put some x's and o's on the screen so i'm, I'm excited Dude, for that. Th- that would be so cool like that's that's my dream and um yeah so if you haven't already uh follow us uh, on twitch.tv slash lakers exceptionalism pod uh per usual Five star review, screenshot it, send it to Tim or I'd. We'll get you into that discord. This last week, Tim made this awesome rotation tool we were messing around with. So hop in the discord, uh, safe space for Laker fans and, um, yeah, get at us on Twitter and we'll talk to you guys next time.